Hey, welcome everybody. Welcome if you're online. Welcome if it's your first time. Really glad that you're here with us. Are you feeling a little conflicted about things right now? Maybe you're even conflicted about whether you should show up in person to church or you're conflicted about whether to wear a mask or not or conflicted about whether schools should reopen or not. Well, we're not going to talk about any of those things, but we are going to talk about some things that are causing genuine conflict in our thinking. Like we don't know what to believe about these things. Things that are controversial, sometimes even divisive. And these are things that everybody, including Christians, are struggling with that feel conflicted about. Racism, justice, politics, science, and drugs, including weed. I mean, we're, we're conflicted about those things because we all bring our own perspectives, our own biases that have been built in because we come from different backgrounds and families and traditions and and uh, cultural influences and histories and we bring that all together and we're going to have differing opinions on those things so let me say that if you're not a Christian who has not come under the authority of God's word for your beliefs and your behaviors then I wouldn't expect you to agree with everything that I'm going to be saying you're off the hook that's okay we're just glad you're you're with us and I think it's good for you to be challenged by what I'm going to be teaching uh, so that it will give you at least a, an understanding of the biblical perspective, a better understanding of who we are. And truth be known, I hope to change your mind uh, as God changes your heart because we're far more interested in winning souls than we are in winning arguments. If you are a Christian who comes under the authority of God's Word, I think you're going to appreciate our approach as well because my my goal is not to be offensive or quarrelsome, but it is to, to try and shed light on what God says about these things because many Christians are in the dark about what to believe because they don't, they've never been exposed to any solid biblical teaching on these subjects. So the purpose of this series is to get you thinking more biblically while we continue to treat one another with love and respect. And hopefully we'll find some unity in the midst of disputable matters. Because let's face it, culture and society and the media and the news have been telling us how we should see one another. And we need to get more of God's perspective than the world's perspective on these things. Because the world is out to pit us against each other. And we got to understand we're not the enemy to one another. We have an enemy, the devil, and it's his goal to stir up hatred and strife and division, especially loves to do that in the church. Isn't that true? So we're going to talk about racism and justice in these first two weeks. Today we'll talk more about on a personal level. Next week we'll talk more on a societal or structural level. So you're going to want to be here for next week. Let's dig into God's Word. First of all, Scripture does not teach racial superiority. Okay, God is the Creator. He didn't create any race inferior or superior to another. All are created equal in God's image. The image of God in me is not superior or inferior to the image of God in you. Now, some have tried to say that the Jews are a superior race because they were God's chosen people in the Old Testament, right? And in fact, Jesus was a Jew, and therefore, even today, the Jews hold some sort of special status above others. But, but that overlooks a couple things. First of all, God's original choice of the Jews had nothing to do with their race. The only reason God singled out any particular nation for special service or honor was so that he could bring his son into the world. When God chose Abraham to be the first of the Jews, the father of the faithful, he said it was so that he could bless all the world, all the world, and that was fulfilled through the coming of Jesus into the world. Also, that means we, we need to recognize Israel's special status has ended. 
with the coming of Christ. It's no longer relevant. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just stick to the Jews? He came for everybody. And the New Testament says that distinction between the Jews and the rest of humanity, the Gentiles, is no longer applicable or relevant. In fact, that was fulfilled again in Jesus. All people now are equal, have equal status in God's sight. All right? God still has a chosen people, but it's the church. And the church is made up of people from all different nations and cultures and races. It's, the church is the Israel of today. All right? Paul says this in Galatians 3.28, classic verse, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Now, some have taken the other route and said the Jews are not superior, they're actually inferior, right? And they'll blame the Jews for the crucifixion of Christ. And even a few who said on, on that day in Matthew 27, his blood be on us and on our children. And they say, see, there you go. It's, it's a curse on the whole Jewish race. And, and of course, God didn't endorse any of that. That's just kind of racist mythology that says just the Jews are responsible because it's the sins of the whole world. You and me, we're all responsible for the blood of Jesus, for his death on the cross. We put him there. And so there's no grounds whatsoever in Scripture for anti-Semitism. And, of course, the most famous example of that would be Hitler himself. He was the greatest anti-Semite maybe of all time. But it's still a powerful force in much of the world today. And we, there's absolutely no place for that. Now, another common misuse of Scripture to try to justify racism was to claim way back in Genesis 3... When Cain killed his brother Abel, you might remember God set Cain apart with a distinguishing mark to, to show him as a murderer. Well, they would claim that the mark God put on Cain was to turn his skin black. And again, again that's absolute racist mythology. Scripture doesn't say that at all. Do you know what color Cain was? Do you know what color Adam and Eve were? Yeah, me neither. It doesn't say, doesn't matter, who cares, who knows. We're all created in God's image. God has no color because he is spirit. And that's why one of my favorite jokes of all time, I still like to tell, is about a couple of friends, lifelong friends. One is white, one is black. And they're always having fun arguing about what color is God. And the white friend would argue that God is white, and the black friend would disagree and, and claim God was black. One day they're traveling along together. They get in an accident and they wind up in heaven. An angel welcomes them in, and the first thing they say is, hey, we've always wondered, what color is God? we got to know. And the angel says, well, you both sit here in the waiting room, and I'll go get God, and you can see for yourself. So the angel goes away, and the two guys are still arguing in the waiting room. When they hear giant footsteps coming, the door swings open, and there is God in all his glory, and he says, hola, muchachos. My, my half-Hispanic wife loves that joke. Her Mexican mother loves that joke. I love that joke because it just points out the silliness of saying God is any color or any race. He created all of us, and uh, we're all really just one race. We're the human race. And some people might even call me racist for saying that, but it's really the most non-racist thing you could say. We're all one race. From one man, he made all the nations. That's what Paul says in Acts 17. You know what that means? Since we're all descended from one original couple, we're all related genetically. We are all brothers and sisters in Adam and Eve. Jesus was born into the human race. God became covered in skin. You know what color Jesus was? Was he white? Was he black? Was he brown? Was he olive? Who knows? Who cares? Doesn't say. Doesn't matter. Jesus belongs to all races. You know, some are wanting to try and tear down statues of Jesus because he's made to look like a white European, which is 
crazy because does anybody really think Jesus was a white European? Does anybody think Jesus was African? Does anybody think Jesus was Southeast Asian? It, we don't know what Jesus looked like. There were no photos or videos back then. Make Jesus look however you want. We don't even know if he had that beard and long flowing hair you see in all the pictures. It just doesn't matter. Another racist myth we find using the Bible is those who claim that after Noah and the flood, they got off the ark, and Noah curses his son Ham for looking upon his nakedness and condemns him to be a slave. And so they say, some used to at least say that, that well, Ham's curse was that he was, he was made black. And so the whole uh, black race is condemned to be slaves. And again, that's nothing but racist mythology. Scripture doesn't say that at all. Uh, in fact, from very ancient times, it, slavery has existed in every culture. All races have been made slaves and all races have held slaves. Slavery is a universal thing. And while script, God certainly doesn't discriminate, we do. We can, but we're to be like God. And Scripture says God is no respecter of persons. He is impartial. Romans 2.11, everybody say this out loud together with me. For God does not show favoritism. No favoritism whatsoever. Now that was hard for Peter and the other early Christians to believe because they had been raised to believe that Jews and Gentiles were supposed to be separate, have nothing to do with each other. And so even those first Christians were refusing to go into Gentile homes and it took God performing a miracle to change Peter's mind. And once he had this shift in thinking in Acts chapter 10, here's what Peter says. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation who? The one who fears him and does what is right. The only people God rejects are those who reject his son. Okay, God doesn't make distinctions between races or individuals. We are all equal before him. And even more so in the church. Because not only are we related genetically in Adam, we are related spiritually in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in God's family. So how in the world can we discriminate or show favoritism? Favoritism is sin. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes this. Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin. Look, Scripture doesn't really address racism per se, does it? All it tells us is how to treat people. And we're to treat everybody the same, to love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? Everybody. In fact, Jesus says that in Matthew 22. That's the greatest commandment, to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So how can you hate? How can you exclude? How can you denigrate anybody? That's our big idea, is we love our neighbors and show no partiality, just as God does. Love your neighbors, show no partiality. And I learned that way back in Sunday school. Some of you did too. We grew up singing this little Sunday school song, and this was my childhood understanding of the biblical teaching of racism, and it's needed just as much today as it was back then. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white. They are all precious in his sight. That's the message of Scripture. It not, not only doesn't teach racial superiority, number two, it doesn't teach racial segregation. 
Some will, again, will go back to the story of Noah and say after the flood, his, uh, his children spread out into different lands, and therefore God wants races separated. Not realizing, of course, there are three brothers and they're all the same father, so I'm not sure how that works, being different races. But they also point out the next chapter, chapter 11 of Genesis, they, they come together and build the Tower of Babel. And God confuses their languages and scatters them all over the earth, and therefore God is against integration. Well, again, another race, racist myth, because it has absolutely nothing to do with races it has to do with family groups and languages and nations because God is not trying to prevent ethnic integration. He's trying to prevent spiritual degradation. He's trying to prevent people from unifying for the purpose of evil spirituality. And so that dispersion and division wasn't along the lines of race at all. He didn't segregate the races. Nowhere does it say that God wants us not to mix with or, or marry other races. Now, he did tell the Jews not to mix and marry with other nations, but that had nothing to do with racial purity. It had to do with spiritual purity because he didn't want them mixing with the idolatry of other pagan nations. And that's exactly what Israel ended up doing. See, all along, anybody of any race was welcome to become a believer in God, to become Jewish. But he says, don't marry somebody who is an idolater or you will become like them. I mean, think back to Moses. Who did he marry? He was a Semitic Jew. Moses married a Cushite woman, a descendant of Ham. Jesus' own ancestors. One of them was Rahab. She was a Canaanite, a descendant of Ham. Another was Ruth, a Moabite. And so look, the same principle holds true today. We are not supposed to marry non-believers so that they don't influence our thinking and, and, and lead us away from God. Now, that doesn't mean we're not supposed to mix with unbelievers. We need to be friends and be around people who don't believe in Jesus so we can share Jesus with them. That's the point. We're supposed to influence them and not let them influence our thinking so it becomes wrong thinking or sinful behavior. But we're... we're to be separate spiritually, be a, be a holy nation. But you can marry anybody of any race. I'm so glad that my white father-in-law from Oklahoma married my Hispanic mother-in-law from Mexico. You see, now they, when they got married, you know, years and years and years ago, their marriage did face some bigotry. And that shouldn't be. It, it, here's the thing. It's true that people tend to congregate with others who are like them. Isn't that right? That's why most neighborhoods are traditionally, historically, racially uh, distinct or, or generally people are the same. And that includes the churches that are in those neighborhoods. Churches tend to be more homogenous based on the neighborhood they're in. Right? And that's why it's often pointed out that the most segregated hour of the week in America is Sunday morning. Why is that? Because whites tend to congregate with whites. Blacks tend to congregate with blacks. Hispanics tend to congregate with Hispanics. Now, is that a sinful thing? Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, does that make you racist? No, not necessarily. It can be if it's intentional, if it's exclusionary, if you avoid those people and assume the worst about them, then yeah, maybe you are racist. 
But it, it's natural. It, there's a, just this sociological bias we have to be with people who are similar to us that we are most comfortable with, and it has a lot to do with social preference and cultural tradition, cultural tradition. I can tell you that mostly black churches have a different style of preaching and singing than mostly white churches. They're just different, not better or worse, just different. So it's not surprising that many blacks would prefer to be in a mostly black church and mostly whites would tend to be in a mostly white church and mostly Hispanic, you name it. That's just normal, natural. Not to say that's the way it ought to be, it's not prescriptive, it's just descriptive of what is. But it's hard to fault churches for being, if they're a mostly white church because they're in a mostly white neighborhood, or a church is mostly black because it's in a mostly black neighborhood. I mean, it's just nobody may be trying to exclude anybody else, but we can never let that be an excuse for saying, well, this is the way it should be. No. Uh, if we're saying, well, those people can go worship in their own churches, then yeah, maybe there's a problem. Maybe there's a racism problem there. But otherwise, it's fairly normal. I mean, think about this when you go to a dinner party, when you go to, to a church event, people do tend to separate into groups. And what are the two main groups they separate into? Men over here, the women over there, right? Now, is that sexist? Is that wrong? Is it forced? I, I don't think so. I think it's just kind of natural that you gravitate toward people who are similar to you, that you have more in common with. So look, I don't have personal knowledge of what it's like to be a woman. So I can have a blind spot there and I can maybe say something insensitive to a woman because I don't have their experience. Now, does that disqualify me from talking to women or saying anything about women or especially teaching what Scripture says about women? Well, absolutely not. But I can't speak as one of them. I don't have their experience. So what do I need to do? i got to be sensitive. i got to listen to them. And the same goes for any group that I'm not a part of. All right? We all have those blind spots, things that you don't know that you don't know. And so I can say something insensitive or maybe even offensive to somebody of a different race simply because I, I don't know what I don't know. Now, that doesn't make me racist. That just means I need to listen a little bit more. That shouldn't make me afraid to say anything. That shouldn't make me retreat into silence. But it should make me ask questions, make me be a little bit more humble. You know, some are saying that we all have this unconscious bias. Really? Well, how do you know that? If it's unconscious... How do you know you have some bias? It's unconscious. So you, you can't stop unconscious thoughts from popping into your head because you don't even know you're having them. So what matters is not what's in someone's head, but how they act, what they do, how they treat people. For example, when you see somebody of a different race, do you fear them and avoid them? Well, you can't do anything about the thought popping into your head. But you can do something about what you do with that thought. You don't have to act on that knee-jerk reaction. You don't have to avoid them. And that's the difference between temptation and sin. You can't help but be tempted, but you don't have to act on it. That's where the sin comes in. In fact, here's what 2 Corinthians 10 says. Here's what we can do. 
We can take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We can do that. Discipline our thinking a little bit more. Here's what the church can do. Again, it's natural, but that doesn't mean it's the best. Maybe the church can be a little bit more supernatural to go out of our way a little bit more to demonstrate the unity of God's people that, that um, we're welcoming of all people, uh, that we're more intentional about being inclusionary and demonstrate our racial solidarity, which leads to our third point. Here's what Scripture does teach. It teaches racial solidarity in Christ. Listen, discrimination and prejudice infects every race. Every race, you name every race, they've got bigots, okay? Everybody can be bigoted. Racism exists because of human nature. It's sinful. Everybody on this planet has a sinful human nature, and prejudice is never going to go away completely, no matter what you do, because we will always have a sinful human nature. You can't ignore the spiritual roots of racism. We all share the same inherent dignity and worth of being created in God's image, but we also share the same corruption of that divine image. And sure, you can try to uh, end discrimination through legal matters. You can try to do it by social pressure. That's fine. Next week, we're going to talk more about what real justice looks like from a biblical perspective. So again, you want to you're going to want to join us for that one. But listen, you can't get rid of racism in the world by force or by intimidation. You can protest, you can boycott, you can shame all you want, but it's never going to change somebody's heart. In fact, some of the most supposedly anti-racist people and organizations out there are actually, I've found, some of the most racist. Because what they're doing is they're projecting their own racism. The, the racism is a problem for them. They see everything through the grid of racism and they project that onto everybody else and think it's everybody's problem. Okay, so should we be colorblind? Well, yes and no. I mean, we, yeah, we can acknowledge somebody's color. We can appreciate and celebrate the beautiful diversity of God's design. It is God's design. And so I, I have no control over my color. And so why in the world would I have any white pride? I have nothing to do with being white. And I don't have any white shame because I don't have anything to do with that either. That's God's design. That's true for any color. I mean, think about people who are biracial or multiracial. Are they supposed to feel proud or ashamed? Come on, what is it? We all come from a mixed ethnicity, all kinds of backgrounds and families and, and from all kinds of regions and different shades. It's superficial to define somebody by a color. It's just surface. We should absolutely be colorblind when it comes to how we treat people. We should treat every person as an individual and stop treating them as part of some group and stereotyping them all and saying, well, all white people are like this, all black people are like that, because all people are individuals, and they have their own preferences and perspectives and views and opinions and cultural baggage and experiences. There are all kinds of diversity other than color. 
So treat everybody the same. We should see past color to see the kind of person somebody is. Wasn't that Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream? That we would be judged not by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. Because there's nothing superior or inferior about a color. But there is about values. Values matter. The New Testament presents the church as the only truly anti-racist society on earth. Why? Because it's the only group made up of people with actually changed hearts. It's not something forced or external. It's an internal change. Only the church is like that. So the, the church should be the one place where the world can actually see racial oneness. That's the ideal church. Now, we've all fallen short of that. And historically, many Christians have brought disgrace on the church by their racist practices and at the very least could have done more to heal the wounds. But things are better. They're better, but they're not where they should be. And though we all still fall short of that ideal, it's still something we're striving for because Jesus prayed for the unity of all his people, all his disciples in this new community, this kingdom, this family, his body called the church. That's where our identity is found. It's found in our gospel unity, not in our ethnicity. Our identity is in him. And that's why I've said so many times, I have far more in common with a fellow Christian who's black than I do with a non-Christian who's white. And I share a much deeper bond with a Latino brother or sister in Christ than I do with a Caucasian unbeliever. There's a spiritual, eternal bond we share in Christ. So we got to always ask, is there prejudice in my heart? Is there hatred in my heart? Well, repentance is the cure. It's the only cure. To replace all that with the love that comes from God, the love that's found in the gospel. Jesus Christ died for all people. All people. So how can you not love all people. Jesus' way of doing things is the best way. You want to change the world? Jesus' way is the best. You change people's hearts. How can we uphold any kind of favoritism? No, we love our neighbors and show no partiality as God does. And when we do that, personal racism will disappear. When Jesus sent his disciples and all of us out into the world to share the good news with all people, all nations, the word for nations or people there is ethnos, all ethnicities. We go share it with everybody. In the early church on the festival day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Jewish people from all over the, the, the place, different nations, different languages, gathered in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles, and miraculously they began speaking in all those different languages. Why? So the people could hear the good news of Jesus, accept it, and take it back home with them. God sent Philip to go share the, the good news with a, an Ethiopian. Paul traveled all throughout Asia Minor and Europe to share the good news with people who were different from him. Tradition tells us the Apostle Thomas traveled all the way to India to share the gospel with people that were different than him. And in heaven, as we get to the end of the book of Revelation, we see that it's filled with people of all different tribes and nations and languages and, and nationalities all gathered around God's throne. And if that's the vision, if that's the unity we're going to share then, Shouldn't we be seeking it now? Let's pray about it. God, help us to see people through your eyes.
and forgive us for our prejudices, for, for not treating everyone the same, for stereotyping and assuming the worst and not loving the people that you love and caring enough for, the, for those that Jesus died for. Help us as your church to demonstrate real trans-racial, transcultural, transnational unity and solidarity in Christ, that we would welcome and accept one another and live in harmony and share the good news with everybody all over the world, God. We pray for peace and that the, the good news of Jesus changes hearts, spreads love. Lord, thank you for loving us, even, even though we're unworthy in spite of all of our sins. I pray that many will give their lives to you as you gave your life to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray it. Amen. So I want to ask, do you know for sure that you're going to be in that great crowd around God's throne? Do you need forgiveness? Do you need a heart change? Well, the only cure is to turn to Jesus, to receive him as your Savior, to follow him as your Lord. We're imperfect. We're trying. We're striving. We have the Holy Spirit within us working to make us more like Jesus every day. It's a journey, but it begins with that best decision ever to confess your faith in him, to repent of your sins, to be baptized, reborn of water and the Spirit. And so if you'd like to make that decision or any decision to take your next step of faith, reach out to us. We'd love to help you. Uh, text that number 734-304-7248 or email next at southpointccc.com because we'd love to answer your questions, to, to help you in your journey, uh, whatever you need. And if you want to do it on your way out today, we've got people waiting for you in rooms A, B, C, or D. All right? Don't pass by without... Uh, doing what needs to be done right here and now, all right? So as we get ready to leave this place now, I'm uh, going to remind you to, to keep social distancing, but be sure to wish one another a very blessed week to stay connected to God and to us all week long and invite somebody to be back here next week with you. We'll see you then.